Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Wednesday, February 15th, 2023 and the end of week 51 of the Russia-Ukraine War. It's been 3,276 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 357 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Commands North, South, and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Some quick housekeeping. Because of the significant increase in operational tempo, we've suspended most non-combat coverage. If the volume or rate of intel merits it, we will livestream on those video-supporting social media platforms like YouTube and TikTok. But let's go ahead and get started with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we maintain that winter weather may play a larger role on the battlefield through February 19th. Second, We maintain that Russia's large-scale offensive has started, and the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, is attempting to retake the initiative. Third, we have low confidence that Russian forces will launch a larger, concentrated offensive in one or more directions on or before February 24th. Fourth, we maintain that data shows that Russian tactics and the quality of training for MOBIC units is only incrementally better than the first wave into Ukraine in October, and the Russian military within Ukraine remains incapable of dramatically changing the battlefield situation in the coming weeks. Fifth, we maintain that the Russian Minister of Defense is actively working to eliminate the influence of private military company or PMC Wagner Group and its leader Yevgeny Prigozhin, both on and off the battlefield. Sixth, We assess the risk of punitive missile and drone strikes on civilians and civilian infrastructure continues. We further assess the risk of a major attack from February 23rd to 24th as extremely high but weather-dependent. Seventh, we maintain that Russian forces will continue to target electrical, heating, and potable water infrastructure. Eighth, We maintain that the Russian Federation's inventory of caliber cruise missiles is critically low, based on the continued decline of launches from the Black Sea Fleet, with even fewer caliber missiles involved in the February 9th and 10th attacks compared to January 25th and 26th. Ninth, we maintain that there is a risk of a nuclear accident caused by the de-energization of Ukrainian nuclear power plants as a result of Russian electrical infrastructure destruction. And finally, we maintain that stealth mobilization has started in the Russian Federation due to stop-loss orders for active-duty troops deployed in Ukraine, 
and mobilization requests from the Kremlin in the occupied territories, despite recent Kremlin denials. I don't think we have to reiterate it further, so this will be the last day for this particular assessment. Let's get some regional updates, starting in Kharkiv. We've broken out Kharkiv as a separate segment due to continued fighting and increased artillery activity. Also, there's been a notable decline in detailed combat reports from Russian state media and unaffiliated journalists. It's unclear if this is due to an increase in operational security, a new souring of the relationship between Russian-controlled media and the Kremlin, or an unwillingness to provide detailed coverage due to a lack of progress. The Russian objective in Kharkiv is to push Ukrainian forces west of the Oskil River and set conditions for a future, larger attack. The Ukrainian objective is to liberate the northeastern corner of the oblast, hold defensive lines in the Kupiansk operational area, and protect civilians and civilian infrastructure. In the Dvorichna operational area, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported attacks on Khyanikivka were repulsed. A Ukrainian source described the fighting as spoiling attacks. Russian sources only reported artillery exchanges and that the line of conflict had stabilized. Moving on to the Donbass region in Luhansk. In the Svatova operational direction, the GSAFU and the Russian MOD reported that Novoselivske was shelled. Otherwise, the line of conflict was described as stable. In the Kremina operational area, fighting was reported from Ploshanka to the banks of the Seversky Donets River near Shiplivka. Russian forces continued their attempts to advance on Makiivka from Ploshanka and continued to be unsuccessful. Luhansk Oblast administrative and military governor Serhii Haidai reported that punitive shelling of civilians in Makiivka has become so constant another 14 residents agreed to evacuate, with only six remaining. Russian sources also attempted to advance in the Nevsky direction, also without success. Russian attacks of squad and platoon-sized units supported by artillery continue in or near Chervonopopivka, Pishane, and Zhitlivka, with the GSAFU reporting Ukrainian forces near Zhitlivka were attacked by Russian air assets. Neither combatant reported significant changes to the line of conflict. Fighting continued northwest, west, southwest, and south of Kremina. The GSAFU and the Russian MOD reported that both combatants shelled the areas of Dibrova, Kuzmina, and the Serebriansky woods. With positional fighting, in some cases close enough for hand-to-hand combat, continuing. Russian forces tried to advance into the Serebriansky woods from Shiplivka across the Seversky Donets River floodplain without success. In the Lysychansk operational area, the GSAFU reported continued attacks on Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, without success. On February 13th, we referenced a video released by the Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, 2nd Army Corps, showing their tanks shelling Ukrainian positions from the ridgeline to the east. Despite the snowy conditions, drone-directed artillery solved that problem, with Ukrainian forces destroying at least one tank in the same area. 
In northeast Donetsk, in the Siversk operational area, Russian forces attempted to advance on Vesele from Yakovlivka and Fedorivka from Mykolaivka. The Ukrainian 93rd Mechanized Brigade continued to hold defensive positions. In the Solidar operational area, PMC Vogner attempted to advance on Rozdolivka without success. In the Bakhmut operational area, intense fighting continued in and near Paraskovivka. PMC Vogner telegram channel reverse side of the medal indicated that Paraskovivka was not surrounded despite claims on Russian social media. A Ukrainian source reported PMC Wagner made marginal gains in the direction of Zaleznyanske, probing for a weak point in Ukrainian defensive lines to breach the M3 or E40 highway. Intense fighting in the northern, eastern, and southern regions of Bakhmut continued. Mercenary millblogger Rybar confirmed that PMC Wagner had made no progress at the meatpacking plant or champagne factory. This verifies the multiple videos we've analyzed and geolocated, showing Ukrainian forces pushed the line of conflict east over the last three to four days. We did move the line of conflict back one block west today, based on several video clips showing PMC Wagner squad-sized units attempting to infiltrate the houses in eastern Bakhmut and being wiped out by artillery and mortars. Reverse side of the medal reported that PMC Wagner has not achieved a technical encirclement of Mahmoud or come close, with Yevgeny Prigozhin stating that it will be long before Bakhmut is captured. Reverse side of the medal also denied reports that the Ukrainian ground line of communication, called a GLOC, that's a supply line, to Khramova was destroyed. Wagner went on to verify our prior assessment about Ukrainian GLOCs and alternate routes, saying, quote, The route to Chasivyar is completely free to move, and at the moment there is no direct threat of its blocking for the armed forces of Ukraine. Moreover, to the west of Bakhmut, there are a huge number of fields where vehicles can now move absolutely calmly. End quote. In the early morning hours, Prigozhin reported that the situation for PMC Wagner and the supporting Russian forces was becoming more difficult. He said, quote, I don't understand where this nonsense comes from. In all directions, the armed forces of Ukraine is becoming more active, pulling up more reserves. Every day, from 300 to 500 new fighters approach Bakhmut in all directions. Artillery fire is getting stronger every day. End quote. A quick note. Why does he sound surprised? We're not surprised. We are not at all surprised. In the Kostyantanivka operational direction, PMC Wagner, still leading the fight in this area, was pushed further back by Ukrainian forces, which gained up to a thousand meters in the direction of Klishivka. We did not move the line of conflict that far, and leveraged the satellite images from Maxar and shared by Deep State on February 13th to move Ukrainian forces 500 meters to the next defensive line. We also noted that PMC Wagner's map for area control was nudged south compared to previous iterations. Assessment here. With PMC Wagner and Wargonzo reporting that Ukrainian forces are gaining ground and Rybar verifying that they've made at least marginal progress to the northeast, it appears that Ukraine's stabilization of the defensive lines is starting to hold. Multiple Russian sources reported that Ukrainian reinforcements were arriving in Bakhmut 
two days after the GSAFU ended media access to the city without a pre-approved pass. We maintain that Russia will do everything it can to capture Bakhmut, and at least through February 24th, Ukraine will do everything it can to prevent that from happening. In southwest Donetsk, in the Avdiivka operational area, a Ukrainian source reported continued fighting in the direction of the Krasnohorivka plateau, which was not reported by any other source. Russian forces continue to attempt to advance out of Vodyana, west into Pervomaisky, and are attacking the Ukrainian firebase at Nevelsky. In the Marinka operational area, Positional fighting continued in the center and on the southern edges of Marinka, with no change in the situation. Fighting also continued east of Pobida. In the Uhlidar operational area, the Russian MOD reported that Ukrainian positions were shelled, while our favorite FSB colonel, convicted war criminal, Kremlin pariah, PMC Wagner target, and failed Mobik, Igor Strelkov, Girkin, reported there was no fighting in the area. Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Khodakovsky, commander of the 11th Brigade of the 1st Army Corps, did not publish a report yesterday. Ukrainian artillery destroyed a Russian TOS-1A Thermobaric Multiple Launch Rocket System, or MLRS, near Volodymyrivka. Moving on to Zaporizhia. In the Orekhiv operational area, Renewed fighting was reported near Luhivske, and fighting continued near Robotine. There was no change in the situation. There was also no reported change in the status of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, and we don't know the status of reactors 5 and 6, and whether or not they remain in a hot shutdown state. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, Operational Command South, or OCS, reported there are seven vessels of the Black Sea Fleet on patrol, including one frigate capable of launching up to eight caliber cruise missiles. In western and central Ukraine, Russian and Ukrainian forces traded sporadic artillery strikes across the Dnipro River. Russian forces carried out 38 fire missions, nine on the city of Kherson, injuring two people. Russian forces targeted residential areas and a hospital, damaging several buildings and breaking a lot of windows. In economic news, the ruble clung to an exchange rate of 74 for one U.S. dollar, but continued drifting lower. The Russian currency has declined 12% against the greenback over the last 30 days. WTI and Brent crude drifted downward, with West Texas Intermediate trading at $78 and Brent falling to $84 a barrel. Russian Ural's crude was down with an official price of $57 a barrel. United States wholesale Arbov gasoline on the spot market dropped to $2.44 a gallon, or $0.64 cents a liter. Dutch TTF natural gas futures climbed to 54 euros per megawatt hour for March and April 2023 contracts. Chicago SRW wheat futures dropped to $7.94 a bushel for May 2023 delivery. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, 
Stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.